I'm Dr. Allie Taylor with Orange Kiwi, and you're listening to From the Heart with Ed Hart. Allie, welcome this morning. It's great to see you, as always. Uh, today, my guest is Dr. Allie Taylor, as you heard. Allie, uh, gosh, I think she met a family business director, one of my colleagues, a few years ago, somewhere out in the Midwest, middle of the country, and mm -hmm. um, reached out to me and, and lives here in Southern California, and we started talking family business and what she does for a living and what I do for a living, and one thing led to another, and now she's not only a dear friend and colleague, she's on the advisory board for the Center for Family Business at Cal State Fullerton, um, probably my number one advisor when it comes to all things family business mm -hmm. and working with the clients that we get to work with. We have a lot of mutual friends, clients, um, just associates. Allie, it's great to see you today. Welcome to From the Heart. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Ed. Yeah, so, when we first met, it was... Uh, it was serendipitous yeah. because I was a Titan. I had no idea you guys existed. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's never a compliment to be called the best kept secret on campus. That just means you're not doing your job of marketing. So I'm trying to not be the best kept secret. I'm trying to be the best kept, best shared secret now. So little by little, word's getting out. Um, and certainly the credibility that you bring, certain, the families that you've uh, worked with that I know that just adore you for obvious reasons and our viewers and listeners today will we'll figure that out. Um, let me just start with just why family business? I mean, there's, I know your background, I know your education, and we'll dive into that. You alluded just a second ago that you, you did your undergrad at Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. Uh, and I know you have a few more degrees after that. We'll talk about those too. Um, but why family business as a path? What's, what, what brings you there? Uh, full circle in some ways. What, okay. When I was at Cal State Fullerton, I didn't realize I was actually in a family business. We had a family member, a good friend of the family with a failing business, and he said, will you buy it from me? Hmm. So my now ex-husband and I uh, decided to take the leap, and it was our first acquisition that we turned around and sold. And uh, at various points, my mom worked for us, my brother-in-law worked for us, our oldest son worked for us, friends. We had various people um, throughout those business turnarounds working for us, but I never... I never knew it was a family business and then that kind of faded and I ended up going into different paths, executive roles, becoming a marriage and family therapist. Didn't really know how much I loved business until I had a client, a couple come in and we were doing therapy together. And at the end of it, this is one I didn't think was going to survive. Like you just knew sometimes when people walked in the door, they were checking the box on the way to divorce court, which is why I decided not to do therapy anymore. <laughs> Drove me nuts. But this couple did the really hard work. And at the end of it, the, the husband says, Allie, will you come do what you did with me and my wife? Will you do that with my management team? Interesting. I was like, oh. Little light bulb went so, off. It's like, hey, you know, this could actually work. Yeah, it was the best experience. I had so much fun combining everything I learned about helping people create change for themselves and business and getting to play in both spheres. So that was the seed that was planted. It took a few years to germinate, but I yeah. finally got smart. I find that's the case with a lot of people, actually, that they don't even really know that they're in a family business. They don't think of it that way. So let me ask you that question. I get asked this almost every day. When I, whenever I have a day where I have an initial conversation with someone, whether it's about business or just socially, and there hasn't been a lot of socially in the last three months because we're all working out of our homes for the most part. Yeah. 
you don't socialize a lot on Zoom anymore. It's more intentional now than just yeah. casual conversations. But how would you define a family business? What would be the way? I know there are definitions that are used by family business consulting group and there are definitions used yeah. by if you ask any family business they're going to say it slightly differently so let's go right to the source with you how would you define a family business a family business is a business that has to deal with the interactions of two or more related people that i mean, bottom line they can be brothers and sisters there can be some relationship um, even a husband and wife if they're the only generation in there that's still a family business um, yeah, I think that's probably the most generic expression. Sure. I think they have some common themes and characteristics that we look for. So not every, not every husband and wife are a family business. If they're just, if they're in there and just building the business, selling it, wanting to get rid of it, it's really more of a, um, it's really more of an investment sometimes. Okay. But if they're actually working in the business, dealing with family dynamics, that's a family business. So Orange Kiwi, family business? Yes, absolutely. Oh, we have two parts. So the business psychology side that is Orange Kiwi is both my husband and myself. So we deal with a lot of family systems. If we're mad at each other, we have a rule that <laughs> by the time we get out of this- Hypothetically. Hypothetically, yeah. 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 We've heard other people might. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. No, we're pretty human. If if we get mad at each other, we have a rule that by the time we get out of the shower in the morning and show up at the office, which you know is now in our home, all, yeah. that we we have to put it on the shelf and we have to figure out how to put the business and the people we work with and our team first and put put our relationship on pause and then circle back to deal with it. That that's definitely a family business dynamic. Awesome. And the other side of our business he primarily runs that it's um, orange kiwi solutions which is erp implementation and our oldest son works in that business a very very close family friend is also working in that business plus some other um, consultants that work in the business and we're building that one to transition specifically to the two boys so we're training them up to be able to have all the business fundamentals they have the technical but right. all the business fundamentals they need to lead it what do you see? Because I know you do predominantly work with family businesses, but I'm guessing from conversations we've had over the years that you do some work with companies that are not family businesses. What's the fundamental difference, not in the definition, which you just went into, but what would you say is the difference in maybe the strategy or the philosophy of, uh, without giving away company names, obviously, we won't go there at all sure. today, but as far as just philosophies that you see between the two types of entities. If I had to pick two words it would be care and culture okay so it, i find that family businesses there's some kind of passion for caring not just for their family members but for their staff they they have staff that tend to be more loyal much longer retention people people will stay because of the way the family cares for them and the culture it creates so they might not always pay the best they might um, they might compromise in certain areas where skills should actually brought in at a higher level to get them where they want to go. Um, but what they won't compromise on it, most often is loving their people well. Yeah, that's a big difference. They're not in a family business. The ones that are really good and successful always put the people first. They invest in their people. And they never treat their people like a number. When I have, when I work in larger corporations, I don't 
I try really hard not to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a favor for someone. Sure. But um, people are just numbers sometimes. And I, I don't want to invest my life perpetuating that. Sure. How do you decide? So I know you go out on a lot of first calls with companies and I know you have conversations over the phone or you know, Zoom or whatever the platform might be. Yeah. What is there something that you look for before you'll make the decision? Yeah, we're going to engage with this company going forward or maybe we won't maybe a story or two of when you've done one or the other or just something that you're always looking for in that particular situation. Yeah. So, um, we have assessments that we do that tell us a lot of the personality things, openness to change, where they might be stuck, what the obstacles could be. And those are great. They do tell us sometimes we get an in inclination or an indication from the data that one or more members are gonna be really resistant. But I find even in those cases, it's like the couple that I did marriage and family therapy with, I just didn't think was gonna make it. All the data said no way. Mm -hmm. But when I meet with them, it's their heart. No pun on from the heart, but there it's really take it. their heart. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Free advertising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it five times. The heart, the heart, the heart. Appreciate it's their heart because um, most often where they struck or stuck or struggle is because there's woundedness and places of pain. Hmm. And so if I'm sitting with an owner and they're open to change, even if even if they you know put up all the walls, all the barriers. There are certain cues that you can pick up on because I've done this for a very long time and I train my team to look for certain cues that even the hardest cases sometimes can be the most rewarding. We're not afraid of a complex challenge. Where we will not get involved is if there is extreme psychopathology, <laughs> meaning something that you could clinically diagnose that will prevent them and us from being successful unless they're willing to go get therapy because I don't do therapy really intentionally. Sure. It's a conflict for me now. But um, if they will go get therapy, we'll consider it after, after they complete an initial course of treatment. Otherwise, there's, most family businesses will at least do a phase one engagement. Mm -hmm. At the end of phase one, we both get to decide, are, is the chemistry good? Do we have enough trust and rapport? Are, you are they really committed to this? And do I have the capacity? Can I really commit to what they, what they definitely need? Or do I need to help them find other resources? Sure. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And it, it triggers a couple more questions too. So okay. because as you said, you've done this for a long time, which no one's going to believe because you don't look like you've done anything for a long time. <laughs> you don't look old enough to have done anything for a long time, but I get it. I, I, I know your age. Right Plenty, yeah. <laughs> I know your experience. Um, how, how do you know? I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character and I have pr I'm pretty good at first impressions and no one's ever hundred percent right or wrong on their first impressions. But yeah. how do you know when you're delving into an area where there might be kind of that, that I'm not going to use the same words you use. I'm going to say psychopath and I know that's not the words you use, but you know, there, there's just this psychological barrier that you can tell that the person you're talking to just isn't really willing to change and you might just be banging your head against the wall. Are there telltale signs or is it just situational? What can you walk through that at all? Sure. So while I don't ever do a formal clinical diagnosis, um, that training comes in pretty handy uh, for the initial assessment. But beyond that, I think a really good leader, a really good consultant knows how to use their head, their heart, and their gut. 
So I can do the head stuff, all the analysis, listening. I can, I can empathize with them if there's that connection. Um, but at the end of the day, our gut, which is really informed by our experience and the subtle cues that we pick up from the nonverbal. When those three things, when there's a, a yellow flag or a red flag in any one of those levels, I, go, I tread cautiously. Okay. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm sure like there are with, with all of us, there have been times when maybe you've proceeded and realized, you know what, I'm just not going to be able to do anything here. Um, mm -hmm. Or can you talk about a time you were pleasantly surprised where you, you almost kind of felt like this isn't going to work and then maybe something triggered. And again, it's hard without naming names and, and cases particular, but you know, that process that maybe you had a breakthrough where I kind of don't think I'm going to work with them. And then all of a sudden, wow, light bulb went off and yeah, now we've made some radical improvements. Does anything come to mind? Um, and again, I'm not asking for a specific Yeah, name. I have to be I'm kind of careful there, huh? Right, exactly. So I, I I'm can't taking, say I'm taking you too close to some things that I probably shouldn't, but. No, that's okay. I'm really good with boundaries. Yeah, um, I know you are. <laughs> I've learned that. So, um, so let me first tell you about one that I walked away from. Okay. How's that? Cool. So there was an owner and I was referred in by a very large bank that I had done some work for that he had health issues his business was is it was very successful he was doing about seven or yeah about 75 million in annual revenue and his ebitda was ridiculous it, he he was he was doing about 17 percent ebitda on that which is huge wow but he started to have high turnover family couldn't work with them the bank was highly invested so i went and met with him and um, his whole philosophy was that he was the king of the castle and um, he, he wasn't going to change. He built the business the way he wanted to build it. Nobody was going to tell him how to run his business and he was going to run it until he died. And that's fine. If an owner chooses to do that, that's fine. Prerogative, but, sure. Right. And, and so I walked away because I probably could have done some work with him but I would have been paid by the bank and being paid by the bank that there's an incentive and a motivation that owner might never have trusted. And so there's no way I could get into the really deep spaces that he needed to go to, to do the work he needed to do and understand why he was behaving the way he was behaving and how it was actually his business could have been so much bigger. There was tons of market opportunity if he was willing to, to deal with some of his fear. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes you probably get the leader who comes and brings you in and says, okay, I need you to change my people. And it's oh. like, okay. Yeah. And I've had that even in some of the work that I've done, you and I've talked about some of these where yeah, you know, yeah. I need you to work with my team. What I'm really hearing you say is you don't know how to change you. So let's deflect it onto everybody else. That can be fun. That's actually a fun challenge that I like to take on too. It is a fun challenge. Or they'll say, I need you to change my team. And, and they, so in case sometimes it's, I need you to work with my team and I'm not going to participate. I just want you to go do this. Yeah, and yeah. then you see him kind of lurking I'll be around. Tell me when you're done. Yeah. 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 Um, which is fine. We're like we'll do one-off workshops and things like that. Um, that's not a problem, but I, I won't do it unless I get the owner to say, uh, well, I'll do the one-off workshop, but I won't go deep with the, a management team unless I've got the owner's buy-in and yeah. they're willing to do the work. It just, and that's when there's one, usually you get that ad, I think. Tell me if, you're, tell me if your experience is the same as mine, when there's just one owner. Mm -hmm. 
they can get away with it. But when there's multiple owners, oh yeah, it doesn't, yeah, yeah, they have to be fully engaged. You know, you can't, and, and it doesn't work if one owner is engaged and the other isn't, because it might as well just be neither one. It's just like a husband and wife. If the owner, like you say, if the owner is husband and wife or brothers or what have you, so I know, I, I know a little bit about your process when you go in. I know you're you're actively engaged in the business development for Orange Kiwi. You're engaged in doing the assessments. You're engaged in the marketing. Uh, you do a lot of organizational development. You do a lot of coaching. You handle a lot of financial analysis, strategy. And I know these things just from what you've done with me and my center. And there's other things I'm missing. Is there one or two components of those things that I just mentioned, or maybe one that I've missed, that's really your favorite that just perks you up? It's like, hey, I get to do this today, and I'm so excited. Um, like for me, financial analysis, that ain't it. You know that about me. But there's a lot yeah. of things that I love doing. Well, the numbers tell the story, right? Mm -hmm. So I like the numbers telling the story. I, I actually love the discovery part of it. Looking, looking at the three different domains, the business, the money, and the self or selves, if there's multiple people, sure. the variables across and figuring out which ones they're hung up on, like which ones are really causing them the pain. Because the presenting problem is almost never the real issue it's somewhere else and so figuring out what that symptom is starting to indicate and then putting the right people around the owner if there is a financial issue usually we can see it sure um but i'm not going to be the one that's going to spend my time restructuring their financials <laughs> or helping them build a budget i've got really really highly skilled people on my team that do that or Sometimes the owner just hasn't let their really, really highly skilled people do what they need to do. So I like clearing the way yeah. for really skilled people to help the owner be their best. Cool. Does that answer your question? It does. You know, one of the hardest things for me doing all these interviews on Zoom is yeah. so much of communication for all of us, and especially for me and for you and, you know, experts in communication, which I'm no expert, but so much of the power of communication to me is, is reading the person in their face when they're talking. Yeah. But to look you in the eye on my laptop, I have to look at the little white dot at the top of my screen. So if I'm looking you in the eye, I'm not really looking at you. So I'm waiting for that invention <laughs> where, the, where, the, where the camera is actually in the person's face on the screen. So the company on the, in the technology industry that can come up with that first, I'm a buyer. So I'll probably look, look to you. It'll look like I'm not looking at you, but I'm actually really looking at you most of the time. I've got a really good R and D firm that if you've got a great tech idea like that, okay. you can call them up. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's going to be now that we're all in zoom landia every day, yeah. 24 seven, yeah. that's the invention that has to come out so that when I, and I, I agree see it sometimes. So I don't know yeah. if you're looking at the dot or looking at the screen, but uh, so I have I a two part to go question. back and forth. Yeah, I do too. Like right now I'm looking right at you, even though I see the little dot on the top of my laptop. And yeah. I hate I want to just look at you and read your, your face. Two-part question. And if you've okay. listened to any of my podcasts and anybody that's listened knows I ask a lot, and my wife will tell you too, I ask a lot of two-part questions. Okay. When you're working with a family business, and I mean, I want to get into other things too. I know family business, okay. you and I both do. So that's going to be the bulk of this conversation because I'm hoping that those that watch and listen can take a nugget or two back and implement it. Okay. You know, we're all about okay. education, you and I. Um, so the two-part question, when you work with a family company, what breaks your heart? And on the flip side, what inspires you? And both of those could each take an hour. Yeah, I won't take an hour. First thing to come to mind with, this is what breaks my heart when I'm working with a family, but this is what really inspires me. And sometimes it could be, for me, both. What breaks my heart is what I see when I go in the door. 
And what inspires me is the evolution and the change that I see, you know, from the work that they do. Now, yeah. now, now it's your turn. That's really well said. No, no, that's really well said. So I can't steal your answer. Shoot. No, that's right. You're good. But yeah, yeah I gave it first so you wouldn't take it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think what breaks my heart, and I'm going to separate out COVID-19. So there's a lot yeah. right now that's yeah, breaking my heart. These three months are just an business. anomaly that is going to change yeah. forever. But yeah. Life but generally, yeah. what breaks my heart is when... I have to use the phrase, but it doesn't have to be this way. Hmm. If I find myself wanting to say, but it doesn't have to be this way, there's usually one or two people in the business that are not wanting to participate. I, I call it turtling. They're, they're pulling into their shell because they're scared. There's something underneath it. They're either sad, scared, or anxious because there's some threat happening under the surface to their security. Um, and that's not just about things are changing and they're afraid to change. It's rarely that. It's usually that the, fam the business and the way the business operates provides some sort of psychological benefit for them way beyond the money. The, like most family businesses is not about the money. And it's the fear or the sadness or the anxiety that keeps them trapped. And turtled in we can't help mm -hmm. and when that happens that that breaks my heart but what inspires me is you're right it's the exact same thing yeah. it's when we can patiently work we have we have the time first of all if we can if we have the time not meaning not that i don't have enough time to give right. but the organization has enough time to let that person become more confident, have emotional safety, create an environment that allows them to be their best self and to feel secure and find their voice. If we have time to do that, those are the best stories. Those are the ones where, oh my gosh, there's almost no limit to what a family can do because they now get to harness this person's talent. Yeah. And for them to be able to look back too and see, and then you have that moment that you can point to that we hearken back. Hey, remember that breakthrough we had when you said this to your brother and he just went, wow. I mean, I had a couple of those moments that I think I've even shared. Mm -hmm. Is there a time in your career winding back where that light bulb went off and you thought, wow, I can really make a difference in people's lives. Was it that family that you worked with on the business and then it evolved into the family side or prior or some, some, hearkening back that you can go back to on those days that maybe you're having doubts about yourself because we all do. Um, yeah. But we can go back and go, you know what? That was that breakthrough watershed moment where I thought, Hmm, I'm actually making a positive impact on these people. Yeah. That's a great question. It actually, it wasn't my insight. <laughs> it was actually yeah. Andrew's insight. So Andrew, I call him my husband, friendner, husband, friend, business partner. I love that. Yeah, he's way smarter than me. I'm going to have um, to write that one down and remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. He hates when I use it, so don't tell him I just did that. Okay, yeah. Um, he, won't, he won't see this. I'm sure he won't be saying it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be in trouble. That's okay. He'll forgive me. Um, and he really doesn't mind. He just gives me a bit of a hard time. Um, so we, kept, we jumped into general management consulting um, and ended up, really just realizing we were seeing the same patterns as when we were executives 
in leadership with founders who repeating the same patterns and um, my my marriage and family therapy background and training taught me that um, we have to look at the systems the whole system that all we're going to see in, on the surface is symptoms and symptoms are never the real issue and if you treat the symptoms you sometimes make the real issue worse so let's figure out what's going on yeah my yard is wet okay did it rain is it a sprinkler issue did you know there's a million things that could have caused that Absolutely. And if you don't take care of it, pretty soon your whole house is flooded. Exactly. Right. So he got really smart. We, we were driving in the car one day, coming back from a client site and I'm describing, I, I took a therapeutic posture and, and started to do a systems analysis. So there's a systems thinking in the business world and there's a therapeutic way. And I just, I didn't even realize I was doing it. Mm -hmm. it they were meshing and it, it caused Andrew to say that I should go back and get my PhD because <laughs> I, I literally articulated the problem I wanted to solve yeah. in the car, but knew we needed research. And it was that light bulb moment that told me we really didn't understand at a deep level, the inner world of the people we were working with and they don't understand it. Sure. it you know, that, pre-conscious subconscious realm is like a mystery to all of us until we go on an exploratory journey. Yeah. So I, I went and did the PhD and the light bulbs just came on. And then I read Finish Big by Bo Burlingham, reached out to him. We built a great friendship. I just love that man and his wife, Lisa, are, they're amazing. Um, and he had done the qualitative side and the owner's stories. And I had the data to understand what was happening to them psychologically. And it, it, it was like the light bulb moment that completely changed the way I worked with our clients. So we fired all of our old clients. <laughs> um, yeah. I did the PhD and we focused really intentionally on low to mid market family businesses and or individual owners. Awesome. Well, you answered a question I was going to ask of how you decided to go on and get the PhD. So you've addressed that. Let's go back into your education a little bit. Since you know you have the Cal State Fullerton background, that's where my day job is. I'm representing the Titans today, as I typically will do most days. Um, how did you choose Cal State Fullerton? And just any any big fun experiences when you were a student at Cal State that kind of shaped you into who you are today, or just any little? Let's get inside the the mind of Allie Taylor for a second, and just you know, the, the, the fun side or, or just the aha moments you may have had when you were an undergrad there a couple oh years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A couple years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, it was, so the reason I picked it is because I was married, I got married when I was 20 and mm -hmm. my husband at the time had a four-year-old son. I became an instant stepmom. So I didn't have the flexibility to go to any school. Um, my dad, a 20-year-old stepmom to a four-year-old. Wow. My husband's a little bit older. My dad had gone to Cal State Fullerton, did his undergrad and his MBA there. So I'm like, okay. So I went and did uh, my degree in biology and chemistry hmm. and got into some fun trouble. <laughs> what did you think you were going to do with that when you, when you chose that as a major? What was your plan? Because you're not, biology oh. and chemistry, I'm sure helps you day to day now, but it's not really what you're doing. No, I thought it could be a different kind of doctor. Yeah, um, so I thought you were going to go. Yeah. I, and I, so I started, I got into PA school, was on a wait list for a DO program because I really wanted to do a holistic approach. And the day I got accepted to the DO program, it was 
like two weeks in, um, the day I got accepted there, I also found out that I was pregnant and I had had seven miscarriages. I had um, two, then I had my son. I was a senior at Cal State Fullerton. Wow. And then I had five more miscarriages. Didn't think I was going to be able to have um, any more kids. Hmm. Went to a doctor and I didn't know him. He was just on campus. And he said, look, I think God's got a message for you. You can be a doctor or you can be a mom. And being a doctor is not all it's cracked up to be. Wow. So I went home and made my husband extremely happy because he really didn't really didn't want me to go down that path. We, we kind of negotiated that it would be okay if I did the PA, but the DO would be too much. Yeah. And um, so I made him really happy because I quit the program. I have a daughter who like, I don't regret at all because she was amazing, is amazing. The best pregnancy of all of them. Um, hmm. Disappointed the heck out of my dad. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't make everybody happy all the time, right? Yep. No, no, but uh, yeah, it's quite a journey. Yeah. I know you've worked in a variety of different areas. Um, one thing I do know about you that um, I think bonds us, I think, is you're a woman of great faith. Um, without diving into the, the, into the weeds there, I mean, we, sure. sometimes my guests, we go, that's, we, we spend our whole conversation there. Other times we touch on it. It's obviously very important to me, and I know it is to you as well. How has your faith defined your career and just you as a person? Just talk open. Here's an open opportunity to just share whatever you'd like to when it comes to your faith journey. I don't know anything about hmm. your your background in your faith. I know where you are now, but I don't really know how you got there. Yeah. Um, well, I have my mother's womb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, I didn't have a really strong faith background growing up. My mom was Methodist, my dad was Catholic, they couldn't agree on a church. <laughs> we did, you know, they had the trailers that would come and we did um, catechism and, um, you know, they, we had go to the Protestant trailer one week. Like the type thing almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so confusing. By the time I was eight, I was pretty sure I was going to hell because I couldn't live up. Because <laughs> they all told you everything, you were, right? Yeah. Right. Who's right. us or you're going south? Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and my, I'm named after my grandma, and she's a very devout Catholic. She was, this woman, very devout. And when she found out I hadn't made my first communion, it was not pretty. <laughs> um, so my, and my aunt was very influential as well. Um, but it just, it just never really, I never understood what a personal relationship with Jesus meant. So it was in my teen years even where I think God just really pursued me. I didn't really understand it, but I think he just was pursuing me. Um, and we, I had a great, a friend whose dad was an elder at a church. They would let us stay, um, overnight. We could party all we wanted. As long as we got up for work group on Saturday, youth group on Sunday, yeah. and somewhere in the midst of all that, I knew I, I like a light bulb. You talked about a light bulb moment. It just went on. Yeah. Like, I all of a sudden got it. Transformation didn't happen right away. I was a pretty rebellious teenager. Um, oh, I find that hard to a, believe. Knowing what I know oh. about you now, I find that hard to believe. But I know we all change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad was a cop, Orange County Sheriff. So um, Sergeant Brunner at home, Sergeant or Lieutenant Brunner at work kind of thing. And yeah. uh, I worked some stuff out in my teenage years. So 
it wasn't until I had my kids that I really, and one of my mentors, Barry McMurtry, who's our pastor, I really started to understand what it meant to have a personal relationship. And today, so you asked how it shapes me. Um, today, I think what it gives me is an appreciation for the fact that no matter what's happening in the world around me, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to be okay. I like that. Especially now, because these, uh, these three months, you know, we're going to label it that for now, and it might be four, it might be more, we don't know. We know it's going to be more, we just don't know exactly. How has your phrase there just now, I love, I'm going to be okay, has there been a moment that you've had in these last few months in this COVID crisis? I, I don't dive into the COVID crisis unless that's why I'm having a guest on because it's all about this, but we can't avoid it either. It, it, it's that fine line of when we're talking to a client or I'm writing a blog or I'm doing on my newsletter or whatever, do we just jump into the topic or do we avoid it? And I think it's kind of in the middle. Is there a time during this last three month period where you've had one of those, you know, desperation moments but because of my faith i know i'm going to be okay is i mean i don't want to get too personal but yeah yeah unless you want to go there but um anything come up for you at all when you think about that how that's pulled you through you know for for me and COVID 19 i never um, thankfully i never really had a crisis moment myself mm -hmm. my daughter who's in florida who works for walt disney world right, and i, I talked about that yeah I think she had COVID-19 in February, but she wasn't diagnosed. She ended up in the ER. It was bad. It scared the heck out of me. Yeah. And I think that was a moment where I really leaned into Jesus. I can't help her, but you can, and it's going to be okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's probably awesome. the scariest. And the yeah. other place is just, um, I think there's just something about never giving up. Yeah. Yeah, you're a very persistent person. That, that much I know. I know a lot about you, but persistence is certainly one of those traits that I would definitely um, use to describe you. How would you it describe it? Could be good you? or bad. No, it that's could be very good. Or bad, good. I'll just say yes. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it depends on if you're persisting with me and drilling down to get me to think it's not my favorite thing about you. But what I want <laughs> others, I love it. <laughs> so it's that owner that wants to say, "I'm going to go play golf while you work on my team." I love yeah, the yeah, yeah. Valley, but not you know, lay off a little bit. No, I'm just <laughs> I love it because you get me. But I do back off. No, a lot you of my, step down, I, will, I'm good. I will tell anybody that's watching or listening to, if you run a family business or you have any kind of conflict or issues in, in your business or with others within your ownership of your company, this is the person you want to talk to. And I will just mm -hmm. tell you, as if Allie's not here for a minute, I've referred her to a lot of family businesses. And many of you are watching and listening today. And she's batting a thousand. I mean, there aren't very many. That, and I'm not saying she's the perfect solution for every issue you have in your company, but I am saying definitely worth the conversation with Dr. Allie Taylor. And I'm not done with the interview yet, but this is my time to just, and, 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 and that persistence I think is part of it. You don't just take, you know, what they say at face value and say, well, okay, that's what you're saying. I guess, I guess you're right. Let's move on. I mean, you know how to ask the right questions and to get people to think. And, and so, yes, it is, it can be in the seat I'm in, Frustrating is not the right word, but you, you force me. I'm just going to talk personally for a second here. Okay. Yeah. To really look at some things within myself that maybe I've either avoided looking at or they're ugly to look at and I don't want to again, or I don't want to take the time to look at it. But when I do, I'm always glad I did. So mm -hmm. it works. So it's not always yeah. most comfortable, but it, it is worthwhile. So, 
So how would you describe yourself? I, I, one of my, I, I usually, like I said earlier, I don't typically go back to my notes and I've got them all sitting right here, but if there were three or four words to describe yourself, um, what comes to mind? First words, just throw a couple words out. Sure. Um, probably what, as you were talking, the words that are coming to mind are patiently impatient. Hmm. Um, I have to be patiently impatient, meaning the, I can see usually pretty clearly, I'm happy when I'm wrong, but <laughs> oftentimes when I'm not, um, I can see, I can see the beauty and the potential and the opportunity in a person and I get impatient cause they don't see it yet. Yeah. And I'm out here waiting. waiting for you. Would you just get here please? Cause I know what your potential is or you should be. Yeah. And, I and can, no, go ahead. No, I can pick up on that. Absolutely. From you. Yeah. And knowing that it's a journey for them and I can't, we have to go at their pace, not mine. I have to be patiently impatient i can't i can't give up on them that's the impatient part mm -hmm. but i have to wait and i have to work with them wherever they're at so i think patiently impatient probably okay and then um you say what did you say persistent um yes probably um tenacious driven yeah. um yeah so i have like a lot of business owners, I have a high goal achievement need. I, I like to win with the team and the people I play with. Um, and so if we have a goal, if we set it, so, so here's it. Okay. So I'm going to tell you one of my secrets, Ed, this is how you get away uh -oh. from me. That's okay. <laughs> but if, if we set a goal and particularly if you set the goal and it's my job to help you get to that goal, yeah. That's when I'm almost, that's when I'm dogged. If it's your goal and you want to get there, then my part is to help remove the roadblocks. And I will continue to do that until we reach the goal or until we, when we do a check-in, you say, I'm just not ready to do that. And you reframe the goal. If you reframe the goal, no problem. So that leads me to a question then. So in your line of work, I mean, I, I get that a lot of this is, a part of your success is you have a gift. A big part of it is your education and a big part of it is your experience. And some of these other, the patiently impatient and the, and the persistence and so forth. As a parent or as a consultant for a family company, when you can see five steps ahead, and I'm just using that as the example, it could be two, it could be 20, but you know you can't jump from step one to step 20. You have to go through two through 19 what is that pro I mean, I know what it's like a little bit, but I don't see it nearly probably as often and as clearly as you do. What's, what's that feel like when you, so you work with somebody and you see, okay, they're at step three and I know they really are a step 20, but they got to take these steps. What comes up for you as I ask, as, I don't know if I'm even asking a question the right way, but you're nodding your head. Like you, you, you have a, well, a thought on that. Let, let me see if I understand your question by checking in with you. I think what you're asking me is when an owner or the project sponsor brings me in and they want to be at step 20 yesterday, mm -hmm. but, but they're at step three and you have to figure out how to help them close the gap. Yeah. And what they can't I? jump from three to 20 because then can't they jump through. like the butterfly, you can't clip them out of the cocoon and have them fly. They have to go through the pain and the process. Absolutely. And that's the patiently impatient part, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I have to figure out how to teach that. 
I have to, I have to help them find the why. So, so yes, you want to get there, but why is it valuable to you to take it in steps? Yeah. Why is it valuable to the people around you to take it in steps? And I think what's been most frustrating with COVID-19 is some of the businesses we're on a pretty good trajectory and pace. So those patiently impatient people are people who are impatient learning to be patient going through that. Um, it's been really hard on them and very, very hard because there's, this is a traumatic situation. So people, all my trauma training and work with people in crisis and trauma, I, I see it everywhere. It's, it's causing them to doubt themselves. It's, it's causing conflict to rise up and people to struggle with self-regulate, all these things that are getting in the way of allowing them to be patiently impatient hmm. and that has been that's been so hard yeah during COVID-19 I just because they're humming along and the track they're on is working and all of a sudden the brick wall goes up and it's like well wait a minute I didn't expect this wall and I don't know another track because this one's been working right yeah. so so right now in those cases the it's almost like we have to take a crisis response yeah. we can't push we have to, we really have to figure out what's most important, everything else put on the shelf. And we're dealing with more of the family intervention activities and helping people hear each other. Yeah. So what do you, what would you say? And this was a question that came to me from, from one of our mutual friends. I, okay. I, I did put it out there to a few people. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be talking with Allie and I know, you know, her well, um, and I love this question, and I won't tell you who asked it, but it could be any. It's a question I've asked okay. as well. Okay. What would you say is the fundamental difference between a family business that is successful and a family business that isn't? And I know there's no one sprinkle it and here it is because yeah. then everybody go do it. But you've done this enough. You've done this long enough that you've seen a pattern. Can you talk about those patterns that you see between those successful and not so successful family businesses? Yeah, so first we have to define what we mean by success, right? Because, and, and so I'm going to define it based on when they would engage me. Okay. Um, they would engage me when they're trying to scale through growth barriers. So that transition is all about how we scale, how we build organizational capacity to scale, which means we have to think and work differently. Or a family succession, when they're trying to go from one generation to the other, or getting ready to sell their business if that's not possible. So those are three very different aspects of what a success in a family business looks like. Sure. Since most of the clients that you're aware of are looking for some type of family succession or scaling, we'll leave the sale piece out. Okay. So for a family business that is trying to go through a family succession, there's about, there's four really important attributes that have to be present for them to be successful. Okay. The first one, they have to separate management and government's decision-making really clearly. They have to know when they're operating as day-to-day -day managers and when they're making governance decisions and be able to empower both generations to know where they are in the decision-making process. That's huge. In order to do that, you have to have a really clear strategy and the financial expression of that strategy is your budget. So you have to have a really clear, documented, measurable, we call it SMART, 
specific, measurable, mm -hmm. actionable, realistic, and time-bound strategy. Right. And the budget to go with it. And then you have to have role clarity. So everybody has to understand what their role is, what their contribution is to those measures of success, how their own success is going to be measured or their failure. Mm -hmm. And they have to be supported when, when they're not, when they're not achieving their goals, you can't just gloss it over. That accountability is really important for sure. role clarity. And then the fourth thing is there has to be a good fit for a generational succession. Not every family has the kids that can take over and lead it. Yeah. Not every fam, not every kid wants to do that. So you have to really understand what every single person in both generations really wants and then do your best to align, align what we call mom. And those are values around management, day-to-day mm -hmm. -day operational and governance, ownership and money. Yeah. And once we get those elements in, it, it creates the clarity that the business needs to function well. Non-family executives are able to do their thing, family's able to do their thing, everything's clear, it's measured, still have family conflicts, still have family drama, still have all those things, but we can talk about it in a more objective way and we take some of the emotional labor out of it. Cool. I love that. That, that that's, that's really great advice. And I'm guessing that in a lot of the clients that you work with or the companies that you first engage with, you may see that they're really strong in one and three and really weak in two and four or really weak in a couple, but just they're, they're kind of hitting some home runs in the others. And so that must be inspiring too, to, to, to first assess where they are and then to say, oh, it's okay. So I, I can see what step 20 looks like in these four and you're really at step three in one of them and you're at step seven in the other and so forth. So to, yeah. to be able to kind of patiently, impatient, impatiently, patiently move them and, and push yeah. them along the line. That's, that's a cool process. And now that you've labeled it that way, I'm going to start looking for it that way as well. So I really yeah. like that. You're welcome to do that. You're yeah. welcome to do that. And then the other, the other one that's scaling through growth barriers, mm -hmm. the difference, this one's simpler to say, um, what's the difference between those that are successful and those that aren't, those that are successful are willing to change. Yeah. That's the, the, the humility piece. It goes back to whether you're running a family business or in a marriage or in any relationship or in any new activity, I can't pick up a, a guitar and play it. I am in a musical family and everybody plays an instrument, but I don't but I have to humble myself enough and be patient enough, patiently and patient enough to, to go through learning how to play Tom Dooley before I can play a classical <laughs> guitar piece. So yes. there, was there was definitely that piece as well. I had a great conversation yesterday with a couple of family businesses that I actually had the opportunity to be with outside in a, in an outside setting, you know, six feet apart from each other, but yeah. um, they're both family businesses. Uh, one, you know, um, but um we were talking about what this crisis has taught them as family business owners. And they both made an observation that I really liked. And I'd love to get your take on this because it's going to take me to my next question about the next gen. Okay. What's happened in one of these family businesses is he told me that their non, non family executives have really had to step up faster. Mm -hmm. He says, we're on a 10 year trajectory plan for succession. That's now more like a 10 month plan because he's been yeah. putting so much of his time and energy out on the community. And that's really where his heart has been and where his efforts and his labor has been in these last several months. Um, so the non-family executives have really had to step into more of a leadership role. In the other gentleman's case, he said, you know, I've, I've also been involved in the community and doing a lot of things and some of the things together. Um, 
But what's happened in my case is my next gen has really stepped up faster than they had to. Are you seeing that with some of your clients now where just maybe people are thrust into leadership, maybe even, even in your own organization, um, where maybe it would have been a little, you, 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 your impatient patience has had to play, a, you know, you're, you're actually having to push them into that role maybe a little bit more quickly than normal because of this? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of truth to that actually in, in our organization, um, but outside both those dynamics we're seeing really clearly. Um, for families that are weathering this well, there are a couple of cases where, uh, actually, was the, yeah, there's a couple of cases where just the dynamics of COVID-19 have created so much strain on the business yeah. that we, they just aren't there yet. But for the most part, it's either, it's either next-gen leaders are really stepping up and filling the gap or non-family executives. It, it, in that case, it's almost like um, they, that potential was always there for the non-family executives, but they, there was so much respect for the family or the family didn't know how to empower them to really bring their A game to the table. Mm -hmm. And so now what COVID-19, oh, this is great. What COVID-19 <laughs> has done is it has unfrozen organizational cultures across the board. There is no organization Everything that gets things shattered done. and rebuilding shattered yeah so i think what both sides are really taking advantage of is the openness yeah. and the opportunity to curate the culture they want for the future that's yeah. that's like yeah that's the diamond in the rough in the middle of all this you know i have a very close friend named edgar sotello edgar was actually a, a guest in season one on, on from the heart he's been a dj all around the country on different radio stations and we go to church together and we know his family and they're just, he's just one of these salt of the earth people. And he and his wife, Janet just started a podcast and I just listened to episode one yesterday. And one of the things that Edgar said, and this isn't a plug for Los Sotelos, which is the name of his podcast, but you know, he's just a good guy, but he made a comment in this podcast that I loved. And he said that, you know, this COVID crisis and now this, you know, Black Lives Matter and all the different things that we're going through as a society have shattered all of our foundations, sort of to your point. Yeah. And the good news with that is now we get to rebuild on a stronger foundation. And I think Absolutely. that we're all panicked because we don't know what that foundation is going to look like. Because to your point earlier, we were humming along and things were going great. And now we're in crisis mode. But the good news, if there is good news in this, and I know there is for all of us, is that we do get to look at what our foundation was and maybe recreate it a little bit for our, our own personal perceptions, maybe our biases, maybe our prejudices, maybe our companies, our relationships. It's a chance to rebuild. So that, that's some, definitely some good news. No question there. That was just the observation I had, but you know, yeah, yeah, that's good. Other comments from you on that too. So let me ask you this. Um, a next gen comes to you. So she's working in the family business. The older generation is, is, Closing in potentially, you, you would think on retirement because they're at that age, but maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Um, she comes to you and says, look, I, I just need to get myself ready. I, again, no one answer because it really depends on the company and the situation. But what comes to mind in that situation? Because that never happens for you, I'm sure. Not never. No, not well, at all. So they often train us to not ask why questions. But I try to get to the why is it important to you as quickly as possible. What, what's driving you right now? And so I, hearing their passion allows me to connect to the place 
because when they go through this transition, right, it's not going to be all roses and sunshine. It's going to be rough. Mm -hmm. So it allows me to figure out how best to give them the next piece of advice, which is, have you worked outside your family business? If you haven't, before you even think about it, right. go work somewhere else. Yeah, get some um, education somewhere else and experience. Sure. Yeah, but if they, if they tell me they haven't worked anywhere else, they don't know what they would do if they didn't work there, and it's, they're, they're just tired of working for mom and dad and they want the chance to express their own vision, um, there's, there's like a lot of little yellow flags going off that we have to start to check off. Sure. Um, and, and the next question is where's mom and dad in this or aunt and uncle, whoever it is, where's the older generation? Now gen, yeah. The now gen, that's a great phrase, the now gen. Where's the now gen in all of this? And what, what do you think is keeping them from wanting to pass the mantle? And it's really interesting. So there's no one, I wish there were one vanilla story that I could just roll out for you, but it's never. Family it's, business there's not, because then the you wouldn't be as in demand as you are, because, you know, everybody would just take the template, lay it on and say, thank you very much. We're good. Yeah. It's very. Templates sim- drive me nuts. Yeah. It's we use unique, them. It's as unique. We use, yeah. <laughs> we use templates and frameworks. They're helpful. Sure. But they're, they're never the full solution. Right. Never. And most consultants will come in and say, I've got a program, I've got this, I've got that. So they've got the hammer. So you must need a nail. Yeah. And here's your solution. Yeah. If this is the tool you have, then this is the instrument you need to make that tool work. And it isn't always the case. Sure, hammer and nail do pair up, but maybe you need something different. I, we're running out of time and I just, I don't want to run out of time. And I, you know, I, we, you and I have had, I've had the opportunity to sit across the table from you over coffee and lunch and just conversations and in board meetings and I've gotten to know you really well and I'm excited about the future and our friendship and, and work relationship as well. Let me ask you a couple more questions and then I'll, I'll lead to my big, the grand finale question that I ask everyone. Um, what's, the, what's the best advice that you've ever received in your career that you just, you go back to that a lot? Anything jump out at you? My dad gave me five when I graduated from college, and I'm not going to bore anybody with any of those five right now, but I go back to those a lot. Sometimes it's one because of the situation, but does anything come up for you? So there's two that come up for me. One is advice that a mentor gave me when I, I just didn't believe in myself. I, I, in my first marriage, I was very codependent. I didn't believe in myself. I was married to a narcissist. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty beaten up when he said it to me. Um, but he told me to go for a job. I don't think I can get. Hmm. And I trusted him enough to take the leap to, to tr- try something. I just, I was so uncomfortable with it. I didn't want to be defeated, but I did. I applied for, for three jobs. I didn't think I could get. And I got, two job offers and took one of them. And then 90 days after that, the third one came back and asked if I would come do in-person interviews. Nice. Uh, so that, yeah. Um, so what I learned from that is to learn to see yourself the way other people see you and find out, be curious about what they see in you that you don't yet understand about yourself. 
that's what he taught me. And the other thing was my mom. My mom, breast cancer survivor, amazing woman. Um, not perfect, definitely not perfect. We had our issues, you know, I was a rebellious teenager. Um, <laughs> but she was a great stay-at-home mom until fourth grade. She was leader, always a leader, PTA president, Girl Scout leader, great home, like just amazing in those regards. But what she did that really inspired me was she humbled herself when she needed to get a job because my parents were getting divorced and became a receptionist for Coldwell Banker. Ended up working her way up to escrow officer, getting poached by a family business. And in that family business, in like a ridiculous amount of time, she ended up becoming president of an escrow mortgage foreclosure and trustee company. Wow. And when I walked in there, her staff loved her. They respected her and she, she led with courage. So that is the other, that's the, I think the other piece. Yeah. Not being afraid to work hard and persevere, believe in myself and treat other people, give that other people the opportunity to do the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. That's great advice. I appreciate that. We could have just put that whole package right there as our whole conversation, because I think that is, that's a, that's a big fault that I see in myself that I see in a lot of people. And I think a lot of the, the, I won't say the word failure, but the lack in the accomplishing success, going back to your point, what does success look like? But I think a lot of people feel like they're not successful because they haven't believed in themselves or they maybe they haven't reached it yet because they don't believe. And I, I really think it does start there. And it goes back to the faith conversation too. You know, we, we know what we have inside of us because we know who created us and we know what we're, you know, what we, the, the capacity and the potential that goes back to that, you know, you're at a three, you get to the 20, you see the potential. I thought that was a word you were going to use, but you did. You just said it in a different way. Um, all right. I've got bullet points here and we're out of time. So let me just, you know, think of, uh, well, let me ask you this. What's the best way of families out there watching today or listening today and they're dealing maybe with some of the issues that we've discussed today or other things. Um, they hear this and they're like, wow, you know, Ed endorsed Allie and I'd really like to reach out. What's the best way for people to reach you? And we'll put it in the notes with this podcast as well, but you know, plug Orange Kiwi and you, and what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, probably email is the easiest way right now. Allie, A-L-L-I-E at O-C-Kiwi.com. Probably the simplest. Um, and the website's orangekiwiLLC.com. It's, it's getting redone though, so wait a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> Orange Kiwi. I know the story. Some don't. Just quickly, why Orange Kiwi? I like the name of the company. Oh. Um, born and raised in Orange County, California, and my husband Frentner was born and raised in New Zealand. And his brilliant creative mind put those two things together, and Orange Kiwi was. Born. I love how that title just rolls off your, your tongue too. You don't even think it through anymore. I love that. So I which love which title? The Husbra. What is it? Oh, husband Frentner. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just said it without even thinking about it. I love it. That is so cool. I think, I think that's the only time I'm really allowed to say it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you turn that off? That was a question I thought about earlier in the conversation. I mean, is it, I know you guys just went away for a little while and I know, but you know, I'm, if you're like my wife and me, who we run a little business together, um, how do you get advice for Ed, please? How do you yeah, shut yeah. that off? So you're just husband and wife, uh, husband for a partner or whatever that term is you use that I husband can't. Friend, husband Frentner. Uh, we sometimes are not really good at it. We love what we do. Now, our kids don't always like, particularly our youngest, 
they don't always like having dinner table conversation about business. So we we protect the table, right? We protect yeah. them too. Sometimes we get away with it, but for the most part, we try to protect the table. Um, and then um, there are just certain spaces where we don't do talk a lot of business. The bedroom, we don't talk about business there. <laughs> um, the when when we have other family and friends over, we rarely talk about business there. And when we escape. Um, we have time for us. That's just us. And we carve out time to focus on the business. So we get to do both. And we know, we know when those times are coming. We separate the time really clearly. And I'm guessing you share that advice with clients as well, because that's so important. You know, the, 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 the great side of family business is that you get to work with your loved ones. You get to be around the people that you trust and have known better than anybody else. The flip side to that can be the risk. You know, these are the relationships that are the most important relationships to you and Absolutely. where to draw that line. So that's really great advice. I, I, I'm hearing some counsel for me right now as mm -hmm. I'm hearing you talk about that too, because it is very hard to, to draw the line, you know, where we can and can't talk about this and when. So yeah. appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. So I'm gonna end with the question that I ask all my guests. Um, you know, podcast name is From the Heart and there's a lot of reasons behind that other than just my name but I will just end with this. And then as soon as you're done, I'm gonna stop the recording. Allie Taylor, what's yes. in your heart? What's in my heart is that we've gotta find a way in this world to be safe for each other and kind to each other. Safe, not just physically, but safe emotionally for each other. And then just like, just kind. <laughs> Think about others, prefer others before yourself. And just, I know it sounds so silly and so simple. It's so hard to do, to put your stuff on the shelf and think about other people first. Be safe for each other and kind to each other. 